Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 250, as yet untitled. Today is Monday, May 18th, 2020. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. And I keep pretty good records of all of my knitting projects in progress on my Ravelry page. There's also a Ravelry group for this podcast. And I post quite regularly on Instagram as well. Thank you for joining me. This episode will be recorded in small bits over the course of this work week, and then I will put it together for you and get it out on the weekend. Thank you so much to all the folks who made a contribution and took part in the Tom Waits Clap Hands concert that Samuel put on early in May. I'm not sure of the exact number, but I think he was able to raise a few thousand dollars, and this is very helpful for a local venue and also to raise awareness about different kinds of musical projects that are going on. It also helped, the attendance also helped him get traction for some other potential projects in the future. So I'm, I'm deeply appreciative Um, folks near and quite far made very generous contributions and we had some fun hanging out uh, pre-show and Samuel and I enjoyed the show yet again. I watched it yet again. Uh, And then hung out with some of the musicians and fans of the band afterwards. I'm very grateful for Tess Knitter interest in my upcoming design for a toe-up sock. If you want a sneak peek at the design, which will be published on uh, June 20th, the first day of summer, then you can look on Instagram under the hashtag taking back the river socks. Test knitters are knitting in some really extraordinary um, colorways and the motif is coming out beautifully and they are reporting back about their experience of knitting so I can make this pattern really top-notch for you. It's the first in a series and all are inspired by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, Women Who Run With The Wolves. I have one finished object to tell you about today. It's a pair of socks using It's a Charred Sock Life colorway from Joanna Spring of Knitspin Farm. I have thoroughly enjoyed knitting with this tarhi base and this beautiful self-striping colorway. And the first pair of socks I'm getting out of this purchase is going to be a gift for my mom. I'll probably set them aside for a Christmas gift. She already received the cotton socks that I had knit a while back as a Mother's Day gift. So I'm not sure when she'll receive her next pair of socks, but they are set aside for her. They're like a sneaker sock, so I knit them very short in the cuff, 
Um, but with all the features that she loves, uh, including some ribbing around the bottom of the foot, which really helps it stay on her foot, and they look great. I really love these socks. And I have a significant amount of that yarn remaining, including a mini skein in a coordinating color. So my next pair of socks with that yarn will be for my sister, Jessica. I will knit them significantly longer in the cuff, and I will also incorporate that mini skein in some way. So for now, I'm setting that yarn aside and I'll get back to it because I have cast on another pair of the Taking Back the River socks since modifying the pattern to have a mirrored design, I need to knit that up because I actually created the design without having knit it. And that's, it's a little bit new territory for me to be planning something out and then knitting it. Um, I knit up a pair while I was designing it, but then there are changes. So I've shifted to uh, working on a pair of my own sock design, and I will get back to the charred sock life. Oh my gosh, I just love, love, love knitting with that colorway and that Tarhi sock base that Joanna has. Every minute was pure joy. So I look forward to getting back to another pair for my sister, Jessica. Hello, it's Tuesday morning, and I thought I would take a little bit of time to tell you about some new cast-ons. There are three, and I've been quite busily working on all of them when I'm not working on the kitchen renovation project, <laughs> which is, in addition to school, taking up quite a bit of my time. The first of the three cast-ons I already mentioned, that's my second version of Taking Back the River Socks. I'm knitting this pair in really beautiful Sojourner sock yarn from Robin of Birch Hollow Fibers. The yarn is 60% New York sourced Cormo, 30% US sourced Merino, and 10% Nylon. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous base that is spun at Battenkill Fiber Mill, and Robin does some beautiful dyeing. The color I purchased is the denim backpack color, beautiful blues, which is perfect for the aquatic motif on the socks, and I'm really enjoying knitting with it. This is my first time knitting with Robin's yarn. I talked about meeting her at Vogue Knitting Live in New York City in January, and we have collaborated on something that I have tucked into the goodie bags for the Knit Local Getaway. They went out on Friday, so I'm hoping that by the time this episode airs, my retreat participants will have received their goodie bag. The second cast-on is the Rift Tee. This is a very popular design to be knitting right now. There are lots of formal and informal knit-alongs happening, and this is a design by Jacqueline C. Slack. I purchased her pattern without any second thoughts because having knit Ursa twice, 
I am very confident in her design abilities. She does a lot of things with her design. Um, First of all, she thinks about size inclusivity. And second, she has clever design methods that leave you with a very unfussy finished object. That's how I felt when I knit Ursa. It looks simple um, and very appealing in its simplicity, but the construction is not simple. There's actually a lot to learn and a lot going on with the design. So Ursa was knit top down, and this sweater, the Rift Tee, is knit bottom up. And it begins with a twisted rib split hem. So you knit those pieces flat and then join them in a very clever way that lets you maintain that twisted rib all the way up the sides. I love having a little knit pearl feature going up the sides and I often incorporate that on sweaters that I knit. So I am just loving the way this panel works up on the side and I think, I haven't really read ahead in the pattern, but I suspect that it's also going to be part of the um, shaping features. Jacqueline Seaslack includes bust darts in her sweaters and I really love that because it allows the sweater to sit properly and not ride up in the front. I think this is particularly important for a cropped sweater because you don't have the weight of the fabric helping to hold that sweater down in the front and it tends to want to creep up so that pretty soon your neckline is right around your neck and then it's much lower in the back than the front. So I enjoy working those bust arts um, with German short row shaping. So I'm looking forward to that aspect of Jacqueline's design. And I'm knitting the sweater in repurposed Cotton Comfort yarn. I love Cotton Comfort. It's a yarn from Green Mountain Spinnery that's a wool cotton blend. Last summer, I bought some of this yarn in the silver colorway, which is just a, I think it's a natural... Uh, undyed color and I knit the summer tee by Anka Strict. It's a beautiful t-shirt design uh, but I knit it at a bit tight a gauge and though I like the shape of it I really don't like the density of the fabric. I might try it again exactly as I knit it in a fingering weight yarn and I think I will like it better but I just I wasn't wearing the sweater uh, because it was, it's a summer sweater, but it was too warm for summer because of the gauge. So I ripped it out, I skinned up the yarn, soaked it, balled it up again, and cast on for this Rift tee. I'm, I began the ribbing with U.S. size 6 needles, and I'm knitting the stockinette portion in U.S. 7. And I think I used threes and fours for my previous t-shirt. So this is a lot looser, uh, the fabric has a lot more drape to it. And I think overall I'm going to be more pleased with this gauge. I think the pattern calls for a US 8. However, I am never one to um, 
use the needle size called for in the pattern because my gauge tends to be very loose. So that's the Rift Tee by Jacqueline Seaslack. And my informal knit along includes Mary Beth and Jenny. And last night I learned that Allison is also joining us. So we hope to have a Rift Tea Parade, um, hopefully in a couple of weeks when we all finish our teas, and maybe um, a meetup so we can show them off. Finally, I'm knitting Bresse. This is the first, I think it's the first pattern that appears in Marie Wallen's book, Shetland. This is the book from which I have been knitting for... Over a year now, I bought it to knit the Yell sweater, and I have since um, knit a number of accessories, and I've kept in mind that I wanted to knit the Bresse, and my friends Sarah and Emily are knitting along with me. I am using Marie Wallen's British Breeds yarn to knit this sweater, and I've already had that yarn, and I've been using it to knit other things. So I have varying amounts of the colors left, um, which means that I need to be very judicious in my yarn and color management so that I have enough of a color to finish the motif. In some cases, I am using two colors to make up for a single color in the original pattern. And I am keeping very close track of all of this in my notes on Ravelry because I refer back to those notes <laughs> and I, I need to be careful and think about what I'm doing. Some of the colors look remarkably similar when knitting um, the color work. And so I've tried to use that to my advantage when replacing the colors. I love how this is working up so far. I am reversing the directions for this pattern so it's designed bottom up. I'm knitting it top down and doing um, increases rather than decreases before the motifs. So it's helpful that Emily is knitting along in the same fashion she reverse engineered Lovage when she first knit it a while back. And when I knit my Lovage, I did make a lot of changes to the yoke, but I knit it bottom up. So this is my first time really doing the math, figuring things out for my size and working my way from the top down. So I've knit, um, completed quite a few of the charts and now I'm on the biggest chart and just before the final set of increases and then separating for the sleeves. The main color of this sweater will be the beautiful mulberry color, like a deep uh, wine color, which I love. And um, I think pinks and rusts are predominant in the yoke color work. So this is, this, I think this is a long-term project. I don't know, I'm pretty motivated now that it's the color work, but once I get to the portion that's all one color, 
I'm not sure how motivated I will stay. I think it will be easier to knit, but I'm not sure about the motivation factor. So those are my new cast-ons, Taking Back the River Socks, Jacqueline Cieslack's Rift Tea, and Marie Wallen's Bresse. Hello, it's Wednesday, May 20th. It's about 6.15 a.m. I just got over to the studio. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about hashtag power pantry and how it's been going in my kitchen. Very recently, it's been interesting because I don't really have a functional kitchen. On Saturday, Samuel and I ripped out the entire cabinetry of our kitchen as well as the second window. The first window we had already ripped out about a month ago, framed and filled, and from the outside of the house, you can't tell that there was ever a window there. The second window we're having custom built for a little bump out, and the cabinetry we're having all replaced. My sister Laura came and salvaged the cabinetry, which is great that she can recycle and reuse that for her home. And we have a functioning stove. My refrigerator is in a wall that we've already renovated with built-in shelving and a spot for the refrigerator. So that's good. And I do have hot and cold running water in the basement. And that's about it. (laughs) Uh, So I've been doing some grilling and I've been doing very simple meals that don't take too long to prep or clean up because after working on the house for many hours, I don't have a lot of energy left for the cooking. So the good news is, at some point, there will be a really beautiful new kitchen that we've designed and we've done a lot of the work ourselves. But for now, it's a little bit rough. (laughs) So I don't have too many exciting meals to report from this week, but a few weeks ago, I, I did something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And that's something that folks have talked about in terms of this pandemic, if they, if they do have the luxury of more unstructured time than they're used to. Sometimes we're getting to some things that we've thought about for a long time. And I've often paged through back issues of Taproot looking for a recipe or a sewing idea or looking for a knitting pattern or something and thinking that I wished I had a catalog of all of the interesting things that I wanted to do from Taproot Magazine. Sometimes the issue comes, I have more or less time to look at it and some things interest me more than others. But I, I just end up having to look through all of them to, to find something. So one Saturday morning, I made myself a really 
big cup of coffee and I sat with my pile of taproot issues. I don't have them all and I did discover I have a few missing ones. So I'm not sure what happened there. Maybe I lent them. Um, But I paged through each magazine and then I made a note using my phone. I made a note. I listed the magazine title and the issue number (laughs) and all of the things that interested me in that issue. And then I went to the next one and I cataloged. I think I started maybe getting this subscription when the magazine was in its like 14th or 15th issue, something like that. Um, And I do have a few back issues as well. So now I have that list. And if I'm thinking of something or if I'm longing for an idea and I just want to see, oh, maybe I could, maybe I could do something from Taproot. I put recipes, sewing ideas, um, knitting patterns that interested me, and a few other creative things, as well as some articles I loved. In some cases, there are some templates. There's some beautiful templates of wildflowers that I might use for embroidery. So it's really kind of a a nice list. And while I was looking through that, I discovered a recipe for buckwheat crepes. I think these are filled with sausage, butternut squash, and kale or something like that. Um, I forget exactly what I had on hand the night I made this dish, but I made a really nice bechamel sauce and I made these beautiful buckwheat crepes. And then I put some mixed leftovers inside, spooned the cream sauce over, and it kind of turned leftovers into something spectacular. And they were easy to make and really delicious. So I can recommend that recipe. And that is from issue 31, the revive issue of Taproot. Another recipe I tried for the very first time this weekend was for coconut macaroons from the Genius Recipe series on Food 52. This is a series where Kristen McLaure of Food 52 invites the recipe designers onto her show to either make the recipe with her or over video call, give her some tips, give her some background for the recipe. And when I watched this video, I knew that I had to make these because I absolutely adore coconut. And these have sort of like a salted quality to them. They're very big And they get sort of crispy, crunchy on the outside, and they're still tender, chewy on the inside. And the recipe makes a really big batch. So when I made them initially, I just filled one cookie sheet. You scoop them by the ice cream scoop onto the tray. And then I reserved the rest of the dough, I guess you could call it, in the refrigerator. And later in the week, I took out 
that container and it made another tray. So this makes two big trays of coconut macaroons. They keep really well. Um, I don't feel that they're something that gets stale easily, but that's not really an issue because they're so delicious. They're just gone super quick. So if you like coconut, I know coconut is polarizing, <laughs> but if you do enjoy coconut, I can highly recommend this recipe. It's pretty simple. It doesn't take a ton of ingredients and I've found them just really a delight. Hello, it's Friday morning and I have some time to record the last segment of this podcast before I wrap it up over the weekend and get it out to you. And this morning I thought I'd talk about my hashtag mostly handmade wardrobe and what I've been doing for Me Made May. I had the idea that I would wear and photograph something that I've made nearly every day in May. I try not to put too much pressure on myself to do something every single day. It seems like as soon as I make that decision, I start rebelling against it. So things are a little upended at our house with the kitchen renovation, and I'm not necessarily putting on nice clothing all day, every day. But I've made the effort to try and get creative with some of the things that I've worn. And I've been able to take a photograph most days and post that to Instagram. And I felt really good about that because it has given me a a creative outlet. And it's also a way to think about some of the things that I've made a little bit differently. Yesterday, for example, I put together a few things that I have never worn together. And I really liked that outfit. So now that's become some one of my favorites that I'll put into regular rotation without having to think about if it works together, if the shirt is going to pull out and come untucked, you know, all the things you wonder about when you start pairing pieces of clothing that you haven't done before. And that's not unique to a handmade wardrobe. That's, you know, with anything you wear, but Um, you know, it takes a lot of time to figure that stuff out. So I've been making my own clothing for about 10 years now. And I've added sewing to the knitting that I was doing about six or seven years ago. And I use the hashtag mostly handmade wardrobe because that is my ideal that I have a wardrobe that is mostly things I've made. I'm not really concerned about wearing everything handmade. I'm not really interested right now in making some things uh, myself, like undergarments, for example. It really doesn't have any appeal to me at this point. Um, So... I just keep adding pieces to my wardrobe, trying to think carefully about 
what will work and coordinate with what I already have, how I can imitate my favorite ready-to-wear things. The longer I have been in this endeavor for a mostly handmade wardrobe, the more worn out and and worn thin some of my ready-to-wear is becoming. So instead of just finding patterns and making them, I'm actually trying to replace some favorite or often worn pieces. And I also supplement that with thrifting things, refashioning things. Um, And once in a while, I purchase some ready to wear. I have a few favorite companies. I have a few things on my wish list um, that take a little bit of saving uh, to purchase because they can be a little bit spendy. But I have to say, I'm so pleased with some of the things that I've purchased um, with eco-consciousness and sustainability in mind, namely my briar clogs. I absolutely adore them and I'm saving up for another pair. And girlfriend leggings and sports bras. Girlfriend has quite a few new offerings as well. They have a tank top that looks really cool. They have new colors in their products all the time. They have some windbreakers and biker shorts. Those things don't really interest me at this point, but they do keep coming out with new fashions all the time. And so it's been fun to mix and match and put things together and to look at other posts on Instagram by following different hashtags. And one that I've discovered that is has been such a delight to me this month I want to talk about and share with you. And that is Jennifer W's account. She is we bought a manor on Instagram. She she and her partner bought a um, historic manor in Lynchburg, Virginia. I'm forgetting the name of the historic district. Um, it's a couple streets where their house is and they are working on renovations they're raising their family there she is a maker it seems predominantly sewing I'm not sure about knitting Um, but the interesting thing she's doing this month is she is recreating paintings with her handmade wardrobe she's so much fun At least I assume she has like a really great sense of humor, an interest in history, and she's also quite no-nonsense because it seems like she's a busy working woman and a mom, and she's making time for this creative outlet this month. So each day she posts uh, side-by-side of the painting for that day and how she's recreated it. She explains what she's wearing, and then there's another photo of just the famous work of art, and then another photo of just her, and sometimes she includes a behind-the-scenes 
or she writes a little bit about her process. So the other day she posted, some of you have asked how I choose the paintings to recreate. And so I thought I would share a little bit about my process. I have a Pinterest board where I've collected about 100 paintings that I thought I could reasonably recreate with clothing in my existing wardrobe and props around my house. Each night, I review the board and choose one to three potential options for the next day based on upcoming weather, my work obligations, and the state of my laundry. In the morning, I review the finalists and make a determination. I hold myself to 20 minutes total to choose the photo, stage it, photograph it, edit it, write the caption, and post. That keeps me from obsessing about it too much since a project like this can easily suck up hours each day. Oh, I just love her. Um, And it's been so much fun following this. So I highly recommend it if you're interested in um, works of art and handmade clothing. She's lots of fun. I also feel a kinship with her because she and her partner are working on a restoration of a historic home, and Samuel and I are knee-deep in our own version of that as well. Finally, I want to share with you that I have put up a mask-making tutorial. There's a link to a screencast, so it's a slideshow with a vo- recorded voiceover explaining each step of the process, It begins with a little bit of video where I show you the mask I'm making and try it on for you to see. My reason for putting this together is that I was thinking about the necessity that I will have perhaps in my future of wearing a mask for many, many hours during the day. Right now, I'm wearing one more or less just to make a dash to the grocery store or to do something where I may come in contact with other people. But there may come a time when I need to be wearing a mask for a long period of time. And I wanted to explore knit fabrics in masks because I thought they would be more comfortable. And in my research online, most of the tutorials for a mask made of knit fabric is a no-sew mask. It's just cutting pieces of knit fabric and tying them in some fashion, and that's not really what I was thinking. So I looked at a few ideas. I made a few samples. I kept shifting and adjusting the pattern, and then I came up with something that I think is pretty comfortable. I've given a few to friends. They have good reviews, This mask has a pocket so that you could add an extra layer or filter in between the two knit layers. You can make it with two different colors, which is great because then you can tell what's the inside and the outside of your mask. I think that's important if you take it off and put it back on again. And it has elastic ear straps. You could use hair hair ties or something like that. I will say this mask is more suited to non-strenuous activity. 
I had a walking date with a friend of mine, and we both wore masks as we were going to be, you know, engaging in physical activity, kind of huffing and puffing. We were staying six feet apart, but we thought that would be a good extra precaution. And I wore one of these new, newly fashioned masks uh, to do that with my friend Martha. And I found that it was not so comfortable for walking because the knit fabric wanted to suck into my mouth a little bit when I was really exerting myself and breathing kind of heavy. And I think a woven mask is just a little more structured and stable and stays in place. I don't feel when I'm working that I'm going to inhale my woven mask. And I have been wearing that sometimes because we've had some, we've had an electrician, we've had a carpenter uh, at our home, and we've all had to engage in some mask wearing when we're working around each other. So the knit mask I think is good for maybe shopping or working at a desk near other people, something where you're engaging in an activity that isn't very strenuous. In any case, I hope it offers you another option if you've been looking for something more comfortable. And it's pretty simple to make with scrap knit fabric. And with my tutorial instructions, if you're not, even not so adept at sewing, I'm hopeful that maybe uh, this can provide some help to you. So it's kind of my little public service because I'm not engaging in a ton of mask making right now, uh, but I wanted to put something out there maybe to help other people make masks for themselves, friends and family, etc. And I will remind you that a mask is not a guarantee that you don't risk infection by coming in contact with other people. It's simply for personal use as you know, an extra layer of precaution if you're going to be in close proximity to others. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week. I really like recording these episodes where I give you a little bit each day and put it together for the weekend. And I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. <music>